Hello and welcome to Good Sex, Bad Sex. This is a podcast from metro.co.uk. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> it's, a bit like a po- it's a bit like a postman. We come in a jiffy. <laughs> oh, you know what? It's certainly going to be dirty because you always have that dirty. Like, oh, God, I can't do it. Now. Just move on. Move on. Move on. My name is BB Lynch. <laughs> My name's Miranda Kane. And we. Who are we talking to today? Today we're going to be talking to a writer who's had an absolutely amazing journey going from. Well, I'll just let her explain. Hi everyone, I'm Hannah Sheeran Stevens. I'm a journalist who writes about disability, sex, chronic health, and whatever else makes people uncomfortable. Hannah Sheeran Stevens, welcome to Good Sex, Bad Sex. You are Thank a you. writer for pretty much everyone. <laughs> I'm livid. Living Whoever pays. <laughs> Huffington Post, Metro, Bustle. So Hannah, what are you writing about then? Uh, bits of everything really. I mean, I, my, the topics I mainly write on uh, encompass disability, mental health, sex and relationships. Um, and I also love writing about politics because I'm a bit of a politics nerd. Oh, but, hey. well, let me quickly ask you a politics question. What product do you think Keir Starmer uses on his hair? <laughs> oh, I don't know. It could be anything from just straight gel or is he like, what, like the, uh, what's the, all that stuff called the in the old timey they used to use called a parmade where yeah. it like, just stays like oh. solid. Yeah. It's a bit too oh, it's a bit too crispy for me. It does look very crispy. <laughs> like you can crunch it like bacon almost. So oh. oh god. So so what what stuff do you cover in sex and relationships then? Why did you write start writing about that? So the first kind of article that I ever wrote about it was actually an article exploring uh, how we reclaim our sexuality following sexual violence. Um, So it was a personal essay that I wrote for Huffington Post about the journey that I took from, because I was a victim of child sexual abuse and then took a very, very long journey to like healing and kind of understanding my sexuality as an adult. So that was kind of the Mm. initial inspiration behind starting to write about sex. And then since then, I am currently completing an accreditation in delivering relationships and sex education um because i would like to use that to inform my writing and i would also like to work within that sphere as well helping to kind of deliver sex ed and hopefully improve our quite shoddy sex education so really a brave thing to do to write about yourself like that did you find it i I know i hate when people say writing is cathartic but sometimes it really is yeah. Did, was it for you? Yeah, it was a really cathartic process writing that article. It was a piece that I worked on for a really long time before I got it placed anywhere because I didn't really want an editor to kind of change it too much. Yeah. So I wrote, worked on it, on it a lot before I pitched it and then a Huff, Huffington, Huffington Post personal kind of felt like the right home and they're really lovely to work with as well. Um, so yeah, it's cathartic in some ways. Obviously, it can be, you have to be careful writing about things like that in case you kind of trigger yourself because, you know, PTSD is not an easy thing to master sometimes but I really enjoy writing about it because I think particularly kind of how we deal with sexuality after sexual violence is not a topic that I think we talk about enough um we talk about the statistics of sexual violence and all these other things but we don't talk about like what happens to the individual afterwards and how they as an individual get back to kind of feeling at home in their own body and feeling safe in their own body so it felt really good to be able to write something like that and share that with other people I got an amazing response from it when I wrote it I'm really glad because there's a real emotional price to pay when you write something that personal yeah Mm. Mm. I think I've always felt 
I don't know, like, I've always felt very comfortable and at ease kind of sharing quite personal things, I think, because I used to, especially with, with, in relation to the abuse, uh, I used to have a lot of shame around it, which I think is understandable for anyone who's been through sexual violence. But I think I got to the stage where I was like, well, I can either sit in my shame and never talk about this again, or I can use that experience and help other people move through that experience by showing them that there should not be shame in there, that it should, every, like anything around sexual violence should be a completely shame-free zone because the victim is never to blame. Is there a catalyst for that? Was there something that made you go, I'm not going to be a victim anymore? <sighs> I think it's a difficult one because I think for me personally, like I I, I still, because I know there is a lot of uh, discussion around the, the terminology victim and survivor and some people mm. really identify with the, with survivor and some people really identify with victim and I've always felt like I identify with both because I think you can be a victim and, but you survived it as well. And I think it was coming to that realisation because I've always felt like I was stuck in this box of like, well, if I, if I still see myself as a victim then I'm not a survivor yet. And it was yeah. kind of through a lot of, uh, through, I started uh, one-on-one counselling um, I've had some other forms of counselling, but this is a new one last year and working with her has been really transformative because she helped me understand that like, I don't need to be one or the other. I can be a victim of, of sexual violence and also choose to be a survivor. And mm. I think it was that turning point that really helped me feel comfortable talking about it and kind of took down a lot of barriers for me in terms of even with it, within personal relationships, finally feeling like, you know what, I don't have anything to be ashamed of. I think that I can help people with my experiences and I always think the most powerful thing you can do with any trauma is to use that to help other people and to yeah. progress. So that's, that's again one of the reasons why I'm kind of going into sex education because in the future I would like to specialise in counselling and um, sex ed around sexual violence and how we help people uh, A, learn consent from a really young age because it does, goes a long way in prevention of sexual violence but also in terms of how we actually deal with survivors after the um, the event. Yeah. Did you have any, um, not worries, but um, how did it feel like, because you knew you were going to write this article, did you w- worry about what your friends and family might say? Yeah, I mean, briefly, I think... <laughs> I had briefly. <laughs> 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 yeah, not really. I think there was there was some concern that there might be people who, and I have had people be like, "Well, why would you want to talk about this publicly? Like, isn't this really embarrassing for you?" Um, which I understand because I think for some people, it's I think especially around childhood sexual violence, there is so much stigma in terms of talking about it, and people get very uncomfortable mm-hmm. talking about it, which is understandable. But obviously, that doesn't actually go do much in terms of helping prevent it. Um, mm. So I think most most people are really understanding. I did have did have one faux pas realizing that a couple of people in my family didn't actually know wow. until I shared the article because yeah. it was just one of those things where like because we hadn't like my very close family we all knew and we'd all have very open conversations and I'd kind of assumed that other family members had informed the extended family. So uh. I found out not that long ago actually that someone someone in the family that was how they found out that I'd been abused. So that wasn't slightly problematic. Um, in terms of feeling worried about what they thought, I think I was quite open to it because I was like, well, I know why I'm doing it. So if people have questions, they can ask me, but their opinion is not really going to affect my decision. Also in in terms of putting something out there, that whole thing of like not being alone is so powerful, isn't it? And I think mm. people really lose sight of that. And I think even if there's just, for, for your readers, reading about what had happened to you would have been incredibly helpful for them. But I think helpful for you as well, because I, I imagine you got feedback from people that have been through the same kind of thing. 
Yeah, I've got a lot of people reached out to me after the article. And also, I also talk quite openly about it on social media as well. So I've had quite a lot of people come to me and uh, thank them or like share their own, thank me or share their own experiences, which has been really powerful to see like, because you know when you when you write an article you don't always see the direct impact that that can have on someone so I think when you write something that's more emotionally involved I do tend to get a lot more people coming and contacting me and that Hmm. does make me feel really strong in what I'm doing because I know that it is making an impact for people and I think that's why I loved writing about sex and other kind of aspects of relationships because it's I'm not someone who embarrasses easily. Like I'm yeah. very open about talking about absolutely anything. So I feel it feels good <laughs> being that conduit for some people who can't can't do that and don't know how to start having those conversations. And the what and the thing, okay, so this was the thing that I I really wanted to reach out to mm-hmm. you about was the how daily orgasms are the thing that are helping you with chronic pain. Yes. <laughs> So hang on, how, hang how on, you went from you know <laughs> living with being the survivor of abuse, and now you're like, look, daily orgasms uh, are helping me that's with great. chronic pain. Like, that's such a, an inspirational journey. That's so great, and also like you know that's your sex education coming yeah. out. Mm-hmm. So tell us about yeah. Well, you know you don't have to tell us about your daily orgasms. <laughs> completely different. Do it, oh, if you want to run one. so uh, this is something that people just start i I, you just don't hear health professionals saying do you know what you need to do have an orgasm that's what you you know like so how i wish they would (laughs) i wish i wish they would i'm not even in chronic pain but i wish someone would tell me to have a daily orgasm tell us about your there are there are a lot of health benefits for anyone having a daily orgasm so i'm a strong advocate (laughs) for everyone doing it um so basically it started kind of out of the blue I'll kind of link it to my experiences of uh, abuse as well in terms of obviously it took a long time to come back to my sexuality and feel very at home in my sexuality so I think that's probably why I hadn't discovered this technique beforehand it took a little while to like get to that point um and then once I was kind of at home and very happy in my sexuality it kind of it came out by accident pun intended um (laughs) and (laughs) and it just I had struggled with chronic pain since, I mean, it's been now been 12 years since it started and I was 14 when it began. So it's my entire like kind of young adult life has been dominated by this. I thought the only way to survive it was to just white knuckle my way through it after years of like horrendous drugs and lots of different treatments and everything. And I was, I kind of got to the point where I was like, you know what, can I swear on this podcast? Oh, fucking, absolutely. (laughs) So I got to the point where I was like, fuck it. Like, why why am I on all these painkillers that aren't really doing anything and aren't really helping me? So I decided just to go cold turkey. I still smoked uh, weed quite a bit just to help with pain because I found that was the only thing that really made any difference. And then I just accidentally discovered the orgasms get rid of it. Um, And it was, I remember lying there the first time it happened and being like, what am I feeling right now? Because the sensation of painlessness, it had been so long since I hadn't felt pain because it was 24 yeah. 24 hours a day, every minute of every day. What was the pain? If you don't mind, if it's not too personal, what was, what was the pain? Where, where... Yeah, of course. So I have a condition called fibromyalgia, which is like basically characterized by widespread chronic pain throughout the body. So for me personally, that, that kind of manifested as started as lower back pain that just never went away. 
Um, and I also get, I continue to get a lot of chronic pain all the way up my spine, all the way up my shoulders, my neck. And then that is like a constant, like searing pain. I describe it like, you know, when you get really Shit. painful pins and needles, mm. like that on cocaine, oh. <laughs> like a hundred times worse than that, like all the time over my whole spine. And then I also get, um, what essentially feels like getting stabbed. <laughs> like I'll just get these like searing pains in my ribs, in my head, wherever. And it kind of, and I also have a number of other conditions that I have like a nice little collection of chronic illnesses that just make life super interesting. Um, So all of them can cause, so I have, just to give you the quick rundown, I have irritable bowel syndrome, colitis, hypermobile joints, uh, polycystic ovaries, uh, a condition, a rare skin disorder called uh, scleroderma and fibromyalgia. So they all kind of work together. Wow. I suggest you have five orgasms a day. Why are you just sticking to <laughs> <Yeah>. that? <laughs> well, sometimes I do. <laughs> That's my girl. <laughs> but thank you for taking a break. Thank you. For your- <laughs> oh, you're welcome. You know, I've just been lying horizontal all day. <laughs> um, oh. now, I'm sure in the article, you wrote an article for it for the Metro. Um, mm. did, you, did you say that there were nine different, you'd, you'd, found nine different types of orgasms eight. yeah yeah oh eight sorry eight yeah. sorry i'm adding my own <laughs> one on there eight right what are these eight different orgasms okay, so i have to explain it in like two different categories kind of so okay. for me there's like the type of orgasm that is like how that orgasm is achieved and then there is right. the eight there are like eight yeah, there's like nine, eight, like seven or eight types of like t- ways to have an orgasm. And then there are eight, what I call like levels of orgasm. So wow. levels, it can be anything from like a small like vulva pulse all the way up to like full body, like twitch, like uncontrollable, like you can't control your limbs sort of orgasm. And that's one side of it where like the, how that is achieved varies. They just have these, all these levels. And then in mm. terms of like the, all the different types of how I can actually achieve an orgasm, it's um, obviously everyone knows the classic clitoral, um, but I can also orgasm with vulva massage. Uh, I can also orgasm without touching myself at all. And, oh, like purely mental stimulation. <gasps> nice. Um, yeah, can you I believe can... this, ladies? One second, <laughs> fucking daughter. <laughs> hang on one sec. Hang on one sec. I'm so sorry. Hang on, hang on, hang There's on. There's BB's mental stimulation coming in. <laughs> it just sounded like a very aggressive vibrator. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going <laughs> to shout. Just what first of all, Hannah. You yes. haven't mentioned my scrunchie. Second very nice. of all, <laughs> fucking people buzzing the fucking front door when it's not for me makes me want to kill oh. them. Oh, I hate it when people do that. You were just saying that you can have an orgasm without um, even touching yourself. Yes, yes, I guess. Yes. <laughs> that was another one that I discovered by accident where I'd had sex with my partner at the, and then the partner at the time. He'd gone to sleep and I was lying there and I was like, I'm still really horny. And then I was just thinking about having sex the next day and I just orgasmed. Like my body just went, and I remember, like, did, did that just happen? And then, like over time, I've now figured out that like I can do it if it's like a combination of fantasy and like uh, like uh, vaginal clenching. You can orgasm without like any stimulation at all. Oh, wow. hang on, I'm doing it now. Yeah, get those kegels in. Like, if you have good pelvic floor control, there's no reason why you can't orgasm without touching yourself. Okay, I'll, I'll come back to you. <laughs> I'll literally, come back to you. 
it sounds like it should be a self-help book. Like how <laughs> like you've got, it's not just eight different types of orgasms. It's all the different levels. Like yeah. I feel yeah. like this could be a book. This I is, would love this to write a book on this. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Cause like, I see. Oh, you just inspired me now. Cause I just yeah. think I'd like, because of, like because of the experiences I've had in terms of like trying to like get back to my sexuality at following sexual violence both as a child and as an adult I think like mm. it, I now know my body so much better than I ever would have if that hadn't happened to me so like I've, I've been wow. able to turn that experience into a really positive thing in terms of managing my chronic condition but also like giving myself the best like sexual sexual experiences that I can and also yeah. you know, I, do, I do proceed to prefer orgasm with solo as well <laughs> it's just yeah. I just I know my own body so much better than anyone else ever could but so, isn't that interesting yeah. that you moved from because it would have been easy is the wrong word but kind of probable to just shut down everything yeah. in terms of your body wouldn't it so did you I mean did you have that stage and, and how did you get from there to so I went through a couple of different stages with it so um if if you look at the statistics of people who survive sexual violence they are typically going to go one of two ways about a third so about two-thirds will become uh sexually like I mean I hate the word but I can't think of any other word right now but prudish they become very like they shut down that set part of themselves they become very scared of engaging with it but the other about one third become hypersexualized which basically means that you have a very high sex drive you struggle not to think about sex all the time and everything becomes sexualized in your day-to-day life so I've experienced both of those things um mm. so as a child as the as a result of the abuse i experienced i became a hypersexualized young adult uh which meant i engaged in like extremely risky sexual behavior as a teenager and that went on for quite a long time and then following a uh sexual assault when i was about i would have been 23 um i then went the other way and like completely shut down so i can have experienced both sides of it so kind of trying to cut, get into the middle point of those two things back yeah. into a healthy spectrum of sexuality has been quite a journey but i think at the same time it's also really rewarding because i can understand how people all the different ways that someone might react to sexual yeah, violence yeah. and how that because i think a lot of people don't realize that sexual violence can have a really strong physical impact on someone's body like mm. um i'm sure you've heard of the condition vaginismus yeah. that is yeah. more often than not caused by sexual violence and that can, it's your body literally like rejecting like sex. Um, and then same with hypersexualization. I think a lot of people aren't really aware of it and how that might affect someone. You know, we always make this joke about daddy issues and stuff like yeah. that. Girls like sleeping around and being really promiscuous because their dads are mad them. It's actually also a symptom of someone who's been sexually abused is if they're quite, um, they, they're disrespecting their own body because they don't yeah. know how they, how they are meant to respect themselves. Yeah, I think especially yeah. if you've been abused from a young child, you don't really understand what consent is. And you don't understand that your consent matters. So you have yeah. to like relearn all of that. Like I didn't really know what consent was until I was 19 years old. Yeah. I get to really yeah. I, I'm, surprised to you, I'm surprised you knew it that young. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you're you're young anyway. Like I'm like, oh my god, I wish I knew all of these things about my body when I was your age. Like because at 19 when I was 19, yeah. you know, the internet was barely a thing. I mean, yeah. when Bibi was 19, pen and paper was barely a thing. <laughs> it really <laughs> Luckily because 
Luckily, I'm so old I can't hear. So I think she said something lovely about me. <laughs> oh, it's great! You just translated. I think I think she said something quite quite beautiful and touching. The fucking beautiful and touching. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can just feel the affection between you two. Oh, so she is. I never something get else. <laughs> get a dig in. Oh my god! I mean, who were you sexually abused by when you were a child? So it was a family friend of someone who I used to basically my my one of my parents worked one of my parents worked full time and one worked part time, and in primary school I used to go around a friend's house two days after school every week, um, because she was that she was working so she couldn't pick me up. Um, and it was, so it was the father of someone I was in the same year as in primary school. And over, it was over about three years, escalated from grooming to sexual abuse. Um, so like, so he used to take me and his daughter swimming every week. And then I would be in his house obviously two days a week. And then also I would, he hired me to like leaflet for his business, which involved a lot of time alone with him in his car. So it was obviously quite a traumatising period of my life. I mean, I'm not putting emotions on anyone, but I would have guessed the natural thing is your parents must have felt guilty. Mm-hmm. I mean, so across the family, that's a real impact, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's actually something I'm, I'm working on a book about it at the moment, actually, um, addressing that fact, because it's essentially designed to be a book that addresses all the hard truths of sexual abuse in children. Yeah. Like the things that you know, the fact that parents can't talk about it afterwards. So then in like, for someone who comes out of sexual abuse, I, I did not come out voluntary, voluntarily about my, my mum actually found my diary wow. when I was 12 years old and read it and found out that way. Um, so it obviously caused a huge, and it was also, it came out immediately after my parents had got, just got divorced. So it was during this huge time of upheaval anyway and unfortunately what happened is because no one was able to talk about it including myself it kind of created this second layer of shame yeah which makes it so much harder to talk about and then unfortunately again because there's no resources out there yeah. my mum had no idea what to do with me yeah because I was yeah. mm. I was drinking doing drugs and out every single weekend till like midnight at 14 years old like just wow. running around and like she felt like she was and she she was right in feeling that she knew that if she pushed you hard, I would just run away. Yeah. And there's all these aspects of like that ha- what, what happens to a child after abuse that people either don't know about or don't know how to deal with. So yeah. I'm writing a book at the moment that is going to incorporate interviews with my entire family, exploring wow. this whole experience for all of us from all this sides and how it is- actually impacts the family unit. Again, I hate when people say something's cathartic. I also hate, hate when people go, this is very important work. It's very important work. <laughs> but this is really fucking very important work. <laughs> this is... A- I'm going to ask another thing, and again, this I, if, I hope this isn't too personal, but I think it could really tie in with um, uh, consequent feelings towards sex and around sex mm-hmm. afterwards, is if as a child, when you're being sexually abused, if you find it pleasurable, is that a real kind of fuck up mentally and physically oh, yeah. after? Yeah, because there's also, I think, some, an element of child abuse I think a lot of people don't talk about is the fact that when, it, when, it, when an abuser is grooming a child, they are making that child fall in love with them. Yeah, they are making that child love them mm-hmm. above everyone else in their family. Because specifically, my abuser, like he worked, he knew that like my dad worked a lot, so he knew that he was at, the, at that time the main male influence in my life. So he worked very hard to kind of to, to uh, like take over that role as well, and to yeah. kind of position himself as this protector who knew me so well, and they make you feel fairly special. So yeah. you've got the double guilt of like if there's any physical enjoyment, there's also the guilt of like, well, I 
cared about this person, so it's my fault because I let them do it. They make it, and also the way that, my, I mean, my abuser was a full-blown sociopath, but he was very, very good at making you feel like you were asking for it. So he would repeatedly oh. ask me if what he was doing was okay because he wanted to like oh validate himself God. and also it like puts the responsibility on the child. Um, and he was also, I think, what I, he was abused himself as a child, which I found out a few years later. And I think I found that very difficult to kind of to sit with me because it's like, well, someone who's experienced that then does it to mm. someone else. It's yeah. quite difficult to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, do you know what, Hannah, as you're talking about this, I can, my chest is tightening. I think it just, for me, it's like every time I talk about it, it takes like, it's like, you know, that people say, this is not actually accurate medical advice, but they say when you get bitten by a snake, you're meant to suck all the poison. Mm. It's like that when I talk about this. Like, it's like almost every single time I talk about it, I'm sucking a little bit yeah. more of that poison yeah. out while I'm like spitting it out. And I think it also, the more I talk about it with people who maybe haven't had these conversations as much, when I see that they're having, like, like you say, a lot of people I talk to have that sort of physical reaction of like, they can almost feel that pain. I think it's also mm. a good thing because it's like, if we can get more people to feel comfortable with that sensation, then the more easier it's going to be to prevent abuse, to like a treat, treat abusers so that they're less likely to actually abuse someone yeah. and yeah. Then also deal with the aftermath of abuse. I think it's really important that these conversations are not hushed like, I think it's very important that we're all talking very openly about them. Well, that's fantastic. And and is there something that you could say to people, like, if there's anyone listening to this who's like, oh, do you know what, I've been through that and I feel like I should just be, you know, wrap myself in cotton wool, mm-hmm. but I want to... Is there any kind of advice that you would give to someone who wants to open themselves up a bit more sexually again? I think my number one piece of advice to anyone is your your sexuality begins and ends with you. So if you don't know how your body works, it is almost impossible to teach someone else how your body works. So partnered, like if you don't know how to have solo sex, partnered sex is never going to be satisfying and safe in the way that you want it to be. So I think it's really important that anyone, especially someone who's experienced any form of sexual violence, goes back to the very basics of understanding how their body works, but also taking the time to understand the physical and mind-body connection. Because I think especially for people with vaginas, they are more likely, their orgasm is about 80% mental and about 20% physical. So it's really important if you're a survivor of sexual violence who's obviously experienced a violent penetration or anything like that, to really understand how your mind connects sexually so that you can ensure that any any partner sex that you do get involved with is very well communicated, that you can like assert your boundaries and that you feel safe. Mm. yeah i mean the long i think the short version of it is it like i said at the start it really starts and ends with you i think it's the, but i think it's the epitome of good sex bad sex do you know what i mean yeah. like you, you can't have our time sorry but like it's that <laughs> it's that sort of being able to get good sex from but not necessarily from bad sex but yeah. to go from bad sex to good sex yes i'm i'm not really on the ball today hannah no I'm <laughs> No, I actually like that was great. good. That was good. Thank you. Um, Thank so, you. Hannah, where are you? <laughs> I love, Thank you. So Thank, no, no. Um, so, Hannah, where are you at now with the book? So, I'm actually working on two different uh, things at the moment. So, I'm working on oh, the Hard Truths right. book. So, at the moment, I'm in the interview pro- stage for that, where I'm oh, just interviewing oh, oh. my whole family, which yeah. is obviously taking. I think it's been quite an emotional process. Um, so that one's going to take quite a long time. Um, and I'm That's also a big... Good, 
yeah, that book is probably going to take at least a couple of years to get through because it's going to be a lot of interviews with sexuality professionals, psychologists, lots of things. And then I'm also working on something that is uh, basically a, a series of sex stories where like Life Lessons and Dick is what the shorthand title is called. <laughs> um, and Vagina, because I am bisexual. And Vagina. Um, but that book, I think, is is kind of in a stage of morph at the moment where it may actually move more towards being about, like, uh, being a sexual survivor is the, is the term, terminology that I use and how I can mm. impart that onto other people who are still struggling to take that journey. I think, I honestly, these books are going to be astounding because you're just coming from mm. such a, a pl- again, of Jesus, everything, everything I've said, but from a place of truth and knowledge mm. rather than, you know, uh, sec, think, but writing something to sell or whatever you yeah. know it's it's there's reasons behind it and and positive reasons be, be for it yeah, yeah. Well, i Brilliant. think that's always been my primary motivation with these things it's like a lot of the resources of the stories that i read about sexual violence they're often sensationalized like any story yeah. that you read about someone's experience of child abuse in a magazine is splashed around and it just details all the horrific things that have happened to this person without actually dealing with like how they've grown from that yeah and i think and there there are because in in when i first started writing the book about child abuse and doing these interviews i did a lot of research and there is nothing out there that's not for psychologists all the information like out there there's no there's no book for a parent who's just found out that they're yeah. there's no information that is accessible at their level that tells them this what might this is what might happen this is the help that you can receive and this is how you need to support your child and then the same for a teenager who's dealing with the impact of sexual violence or sexual abuse there's no book out there that says like like reaches a hand out and says, "Here's our, how I, how we can help you." Yeah, sometimes you just need a script, like a script, isn't it? Sometimes yeah. you just want to know what are the right words to say. Yeah, you know. So that's oh. going to be a huge component of that, and also the idea for that book as well is like the the main body of the book will be accessible for like 14 years and up and I'm going to write a uh, supplement within that book that is designed for adults talking to very young children um, in terms of like how to help their child through that when they're very young so obviously you're not like using inappropriate language or anything like that yeah Uh, what happened to the man so unfortunately otherwise I would have named him um I was I had a very bad experience with the social worker um who basically told me and this is word for word uh you can go to, you can go to the police and you can take it to court but it will be your word against his and he will most likely win <laughs> which I still didn't understand because when the social work experience I had was not very good but I'm not going to speak to the industry as a whole because I don't know how other people have experienced this but the way I dealt felt from that was like I don't know whether this person believes me Mm. Um, there was a lot of discussion about the legal side of it when my mum was not in the room so I wasn't really given I wasn't really empowered to make a decision on my own I wasn't given the time to think about it it felt very much like you should make this decision now and then we received one update phone call after it happened which was basically to say because they had to speak to him to confirm whether his daughter had been a victim as well and he admitted to half of the stuff that I accused him of and there was still the police still did not arrest him or do anything. No. He admitted half of it and they were still like, okay. Oh. And he could have been doing this to his daughter, couldn't he, as well? So they, oh. they ascertained that they don't think he was and that she was okay, which is I'm very thankful for. Um, but from things that I've heard and from my understanding of him as a person during that time, I do not think I was the first victim. Oh, Jesus. 
Uh, That's well, hard to deal God. with. It's, I mean, I can't imagine. I can't imagine. But, you know, look what you're doing. And again, not Sam Patrick, but you're young. You've got there already. You're here already. Mm-hmm. How, yeah. you know, God knows what else you're going to do. It's amazing. It's, we, we definitely want you to keep in touch with us and let us know about the books and yeah. come back and talk Will about do. them. Because um, oh, I'd love to. Yeah. As you see, I'm very open. I don't, there's not really any topic that makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. It Brilliant. comes we'll from being a very open family. Everything, anything and everything. <laughs> how, can we, how can people find out more about you and catch up and keep up with what you're doing? Yes, uh, if you want to find me, the best place is probably my Instagram for now because I'm in the process of setting up various websites um, called... Uh, so my Instagram is my, just my full name, Hannah Shewan Stevens. Uh, yes, I have a weird middle name. Um, <laughs> and you can also keep an eye out for a project that a very special project that I'm working on called Sexual Survivors, which will be launching in the next month or so. Oh, fantastic! Yeah. Oh, let is... us know about that. We'll... Yeah, we'll do. Hannah, spell your name. Spell your name up for us. Your middle name, please. Yeah, so it's S H E W A N. So a name I inherited from my mother it's like some family heirloom thing it's like some Scottish clan name or something like oh, that oh nice oh Miranda's in oh, Scotland I so am. I to track them down oh, we'll track, them down. Oh, we'll. track down my, my ancestors track down the Shewans <laughs> Hannah absolute pleasure to meet you fascinating to speak to someone who's been through that and what you're doing now that, that you've come out of it and you're doing something so amazing with it it's just incredible thank you well thank you for having me it's been lovely to chat Wow. Oh, what isn't that? Isn't that a re- I thought that was a really inspirational yeah, journey. I did. And it's really hard to talk to to speak to someone who's been through that and has come through that, always coming through that still and writing mm. about it without you feel like everything you say is is naff or yeah. patronizing. But I meant it. It's like she's she's inspirational, isn't she? Yeah, yeah, and that was such an like, interesting when you were saying how you had this visceral reaction. Yeah, and because it is difficult to talk about, and the fact that she is talking about it and in such an open way, and and not just that, but you know, she's talking about um, how orgasms are helping her chronic pain and and not being, you know, it's it's fearless, isn't it? It's it's yeah, fearless is the perfect word, and also just constantly going forward with it. Yeah, yeah, I'm you know, really looking forward to you know yeah. what she does next. I think yeah. there's going to be a lot more, a lot more from Hannah. Yeah, she was fascinating. Um, yeah. yeah, loved her. So um, I'm BB Lynch. I'm Miranda Kane. Good sex. Why did you say it like that? Because I wanted to sound really interesting. Because she was such a good guest. I feel a bit naff now. <laughs> you think stressing your name in a you think stressing your name in a weird way will make you sound interesting? Absolutely. <laughs> See, did it again. Oh my god! <laughs> Good sex, bad sex was produced by <laughs> Juliet Nichols from Metro.co.uk. Get in touch with us on Twitter at Good Sex Bad Sex with a triple X at the end, and we're on Instagram as well. So, oh, how lovely! Um, no filters because we don't need them. Um, and also, <laughs> if you've got a sexy question or a query or um, a topic you'd like us to cover, or you want to come on the ch- um, on the podcast yourself, get in touch with us at info at sexpod.co.uk. Oh, I love how you were about to call it a chat show. There, I mean, that is Did that is <laughs> free, isn't it? If you want to come on the chat show, come and chat. 
come and chat on my show. Come on and chat. It's a show. We chat on the show. Let's get a chat show. Let's get a chat show. Who would give us a who would give us a chat show? Samaritans. I'm just gonna let I'm just gonna let the silence speak for itself. See you next week. Whilst we do that, we'll see you next week. God willing.